Hi, everyone. Welcome to Toast and Topics. I'm Ben. And I'm Sachin. Thank you all for joining us this weekend as we dive into a new topic. Uh, before getting into it, I wanted to thank our audience for all the feedback that they have provided us with thus far. Uh, please keep it coming. The consistent piece of input we've received has been to keep these discussions a bit more conversational, to loosen up a bit and to be cool. Ben, I don't think people actually think it's cool to say that. Anyway, we promise that we'll work on it, uh, but let's get into this week's topic. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. As we ended last year, the outlook for 2023 was shaping up to be focused on rapid growth in China as they reopened their economy and lifted pandemic-era lockdowns, while the U.S. was supposed to suffer a massive growth slowdown. Now, here we are at the midpoint of the year, and just the opposite has been the case. In the U.S., growth has held up far better than feared, as we discussed in greater depth in our last episode. On the other hand, China's economy continues to face problems, with poor GDP growth, the property sector in freefall, factory activity contracting for a third straight month in June, and rising youth unemployment, which is currently at a whopping 21.3%. This prompted us to look more at China's economic model and to understand some of the reasons behind their poor economic growth at the moment. Uh, we also investigated the future consumption-led growth strategy that the country says that it's pursuing and that we really think it ought to be pursuing in order to enjoy economic growth in the years ahead. So Ben, let's start with talking about this whole idea of productivity. It's a concept that I personally struggled wrapping my head around in school. So what does it even mean? Why should we care? And why has it been so poor in China? This is a good question. And it's one that I know you've asked me many times already. So uh, let me break it down. Economic growth, to take a step back, is viewed as coming from three sources. Labor, so the number of workers that are operating in an economy. Capital which refers to the infrastructure and equipment that workers in any economy can use in order to generate output. And then finally, productivity, which refers to the amount of additional output that you can get for a fixed set of inputs. So you can imagine that you would get an increase in productivity if with the same amount of labor and capital, you suddenly started to produce more output, say due to an improvement in technology. Much of China's growth these past 30 years has come from increases in labor and capital. China moved a massive portion of its labor force from the rural countryside to urban factories over the past few decades, and that increased its labor force. Additionally, the country invested massively in capital, building world-class infrastructure and factories. All of this increased China's economic growth. Okay, understood. But to an outsider, at least, China's world-class infrastructure seems like it should be a success story, right? It's true. And in a way, it has been. China has grown faster than any economy in history. If you look at where the country was in the 1970s versus where it is now, unambiguously, the country's economic growth strategy has worked pretty well. It's just that the strategy is starting to show cracks in 2023 and now looking ahead. Um, one of the reasons is that China hasn't enjoyed very much productivity, despite its increases in labor and capital. The IMF estimates that China's productivity growth 
since the global financial crisis has only averaged about two and a quarter percentage points per year, which is only about half of its average in the decade before the financial crisis. So what are some of the obstacles to China's growth? At least to me, it seems that many of the problems are out of their control. For example, the slow recovery of the global economy post-pandemic has made it very tough for an export-sensitive country like China to actually achieve their desired growth targets. Yeah, I think that the chief problem that is within China's control right now is its investment-like growth model, which has very much been promoted by China's government over these past few decades. Just for context here, investment is 42% of GDP in China, which is double the level of investment as a share of GDP in the United States. Um, And this has meant that China has lots of infrastructure and lots of capital goods and things of that sort. Um, Between 2011 and 2014, just to underscore this point, China used more cement in three years than the United States did in the entire 20th century, which is just a mind-boggling fact. And it really goes to show that the country has taken infrastructure and investment very seriously. All of this was needed at a given point in time. Um, As China began to liberalize in the 1970s, it was still an agrarian society. It really didn't have much of any infrastructure or really any factories to speak of. So massive investments in infrastructure and capital stock were needed for China to transform itself into the world's factory that it is today. And this excess income from all of these investments in the factories that they were generating was basically channeled back into China's economy, which created this self-perpetuating growth cycle that allowed China to climb the economic value chain. This was all great for China. Got it. So to be clear, high investment rates aren't necessarily a bad thing and are in fact common in many countries, especially at their earlier stages of development. In China's case, it did result in massive and frankly impressive development, uh, as well as growth in manufacturing capacity, which seems pretty desirable. So I guess my next point is, why is it failing now? The key reason is that at this point, China is simply overloaded with investment. China's capital stock as a share of its GDP um, is now five, meaning that capital stock is five times greater than GDP. In the United States, capital stock is just three and a half times greater than GDP, which really goes to show that uh, China's massive investments have meant that it's overloaded with capital in a way that most other economies uh, simply cannot match. Uh, Because of this, return on investment has been declining in China for years, and it now roughly matches uh, the return on investment in the United States, which is a far more developed economy. And so you would expect that it would have a lower return on investment. Um, One of the ways to get a sense of whether China's investments are actually paying off and making a meaningful contribution to growth is by looking at debt as a share of GDP. This is because China takes on debt whenever it makes large investments in capital or infrastructure. Um, And potentially these uh, loans could pay off if they generated increases in output, right? But we haven't seen this happen in China really at all since 2008. Uh, China's debt ratio was about 150% of GDP at that time. And now it's roughly 
5% of GDP, which indicates that there is a lot of non-performing investment in China. This also indicates that China should be seriously reconsidering its economic growth model. If China needs to improve its growth, but the answer isn't to invest in more productive infrastructure, then what is the answer? Yeah, I think a remedy would be for China to focus more on its consumers, which are a major untapped source of value for the country right now. China's household spending accounts for just 38% of gross domestic product. That's nearly 30 percentage points below the global average. In the United States, for example, consumption as a share of GDP is around 60%. Now, if China could get its citizens to spend more on domestic industries, it would require less investment to generate growth. And its newfound domestic demand would ensure that China would be less dependent on foreigners purchasing its exports, which could insulate its economy from global financial shocks. Now, in theory, China recognizes the rationale behind this and has actually stated that they want to increase consumption. In December of 2022, for example, the Chinese government announced a consumption-led growth policy as the centerpiece of its new 12-year economic plan. This is the first time in modern Chinese history that the country's planners said that they would prioritize expanding household consumption over investment. So it's a big deal that China is, at least in its rhetoric, shifting toward a consumption-like growth strategy. So I'll pause you right there. Um, Given some of the stats that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, how will consumption-led growth even work if youth unemployment is as high as it is and the population is aging and growth is still slowing overall? Another great question. So I actually think that one of the reasons that China might have a difficult time adopting a consumption-led growth strategy is because, at least initially, a shift to that kind of a strategy would be very painful for the country for the exact reasons that you're saying. Um, Just thinking about it, so much of China's growth right now has come from investment that, in a way, the country's economy could be likened to a financial house of cards. Non-performing investments right now are being propped up by further investments by the Chinese government. And so if the country were to stop making those investments, a lot of the existing poor investments that China has made could suddenly collapse under their own weight. And because of that, you can understand the reluctance that China has in order to shift away from that kind of a strategy. More than that, um, at least initially, consumption is just such a small portion of China's GDP right now that if the country were to shift toward consumers as being the main engine of their economic growth, well, that would not be very good for the economy just because consumer demand is not going to be able to match the output of China's factories at the moment. All of that means that, again, at least initially, China could suffer an economic contraction by adopting a consumption-like growth model. And it would actually take time, uh, meaning years, for this kind of a strategy to put China on a position towards stable growth. That makes sense. So to summarize all this, China's economy is in somewhat of a bind right now. On one hand, growth via investment seems to have run its course. China's returns on investment are now down and debt has climbed higher and higher. So it's obvious that it's time for something to change. But on the other hand, shifting to consumption-led growth would be painful. 
The country's weak domestic demand means that if its economy were to shift towards supplying the Chinese consumer market, it would shrink, at least initially. Now, in the long run, consumption-led growth would certainly improve China's economic outlook, but whether the government is willing to bear the short-run costs of adjustment has yet to be determined. I think that sums it up perfectly, Sachin. All right, great. Well, thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you again next time, where we'll dig deeper into recent changes in student debt relief and the longer-term implications for borrowers. Thanks for listening to Toast and Topics. If you like what you heard, follow us on Spotify or on Instagram at Toast and Topics. If there's a topic you'd like to hear us discuss next, fill out the Google form in the podcast description. Until next time.